Hey, who's ready? Come on, somebody. Woo! At the Movies. Welcome, guys. We're kicking off a new series today called Project At the Movies, and we are talking about the greatest showman, as you can see. So I know a few people last week were like, man, I can't wait to come back and watch the whole movie, The Greatest Showman. I'm like, we ain't showing the whole movie. We are going to show a few clips, so uh, we're gonna, what we're going to do over these next five weeks, we're going to tie in movies of today to a message, uh, the truth, and some lessons that I believe we're going to see in Scripture, and I believe God wants to speak to us. Uh, you know, Jesus taught in stories, and I think movies are, man, the stories of today, the parables of today, and so what better way than to, to tie in the movies of today to the Word of God and, and to hear some truth from it, and so I'm excited to be sharing with you today. Uh, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to actually be looking at our blueprints as a church. So our blueprints are our core values or what our church is all about. So what we're going to do is every week we're going to look at one or two core values, blueprints, and tie them into to today and to this movie. And so I'm excited today to look at Project Our Identity, which is we recognize that we are all a work in progress. None of our, us are perfect. We got any perfect people in here? Okay, I didn't think so. Well done. In, in every service, somebody rose, raised their hand. I'm like, you're tripping. So first is our identity. We recognize, look, we're all a work in progress. None of us are perfect. We're all moving forward together. And then second, honor our culture. We cultivate a culture of honor, honoring those above us, beside us, and below us. And what we mean by that is, man, in our spheres of life, we all have people who serve as somewhat of authority over us, whether it's in school or in our jobs. We have those coworkers who are alongside us and those that maybe are even below us in terms of structure. And yet we will honor all people. We are a church that honors everyone. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter um, our social status. It doesn't matter what group of people we come from, what race we are. We will honor all people. Everyone is honored in our church. So I want to talk to you today about these ideas of honor and identity. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I'm going to be reading from there. Next week, come back. We're actually looking at Star Wars, uh, The Last Jedi. And so I want to encourage you to come back for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. But here's what I want to talk to you about today as it relates to honor and identity. Here are my three points. Giving them all to you up front. This is rare. We love people for who they are. We accept people how they are, but we challenge people in where they are. This is what I want to talk to you about today. That we love people for who they are, we accept people how they are, but we challenge people in where they are. So let's read John chapter 8. I'm going to read verse 1 through 11. This is a story of the woman caught in adultery. And it says, I love hearing you guys eating your popcorn. Continue. No, seriously, enjoy it. That's what this is about. But Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. 
Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Can we pray? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would challenge us from it. We would learn from it, from this movie. Uh, God, that you would show us the truth that you want us to receive today. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, man, I'm really excited about today. This message, I don't know, really like spoke to me this week, and I hope it speaks to you. I hope you came in here expecting something, because if you're expecting something, your heart will be more open to receive something. If you're just checking a box off a list or you can't wait for lunch, um, you're going to miss something. But I want you right now to just be expecting, because I believe God wants to speak something into our life and into our heart, because I think this is prophetic today for our future and for the future of our church. So I'm speaking a word over us today. So because of Jesus' example of love, of honor, and identity, here's what we do. Number one, we love people for who they are. Everybody touch your neighbor, look at them. If you know them, say, I love you. If you don't know them, say, what's your name? If you know them, tell them you love them. If you don't, say, what's your name? What's your name? If some of you got lucky right now, this is a girl. You're like, what's your name, girl? So let me start by talking about identity. Identity. This idea of project being our identity. We're all a work in progress. None of us are perfect. One thing that we have to understand first is that we all have the fingerprint of God upon us. Every person on this planet has the fingerprint of God upon us. Why? Because we were made in the image of God. In fact, the Bible says that we were knit together in our mother's womb. That doesn't involve just people who know Jesus. That's all people. That every person on this planet was knit together in their mother's womb. That God had a hand in making you, creating you, and creating all of humanity. And so we have to understand as Christians, though, where our identity lies. Because what happens is in today's culture, our identity is wrapped up in all the wrong stuff. It's wrapped up in our jobs. It's wrapped up in what we accomplish. It's wrapped up in our success. It's wrapped up in our dreams. It's wrapped up in our relationships. It's wrapped up in all sorts of things. But until we understand that our identity, first and foremost, is rooted in the fact that we are sons and daughters of God, we will never understand what it means to walk out the true life that God has called us to walk out. Because if our identity is in all this stuff or all the things we do or all that we accomplish, then when we fail, when we fall short, when we don't live up to the achievements that we'd set out for our life, the goals we had, then we're left feeling empty. But when we know God, when we know that we are sons and daughters of God, we're actually princes and princesses in this room. Some of you are like, come on. When we know that, then even when we fail, even when we fall short, even when we sin, even when we don't attain to the level of success we thought we would at this point in our life, we still walk with authority and hope and joy and peace because God says you are mine. So understand first, that's where your identity lies. And when you understand that, it helps you to understand that there are people all around us who, who we must love for who they are, even when they're a hot mess. Even when they carry a lot of junk with them. Even when they're not easy to love. That we love anyways. You see, the Pharisees, they didn't care about this woman. Not at all. 
In fact, she was a means to an end. They went there with the goal that they were hoping Jesus would tell them to stone her to death. Because then they could stone her and blame him. Because what they were trying to do was to remove the influence that Jesus had over all the people of this day. Or if he says, no, you can't stone her, then they go, oh, Jesus doesn't follow the law. He doesn't follow the follow Moses, the law of Moses, the, the law that we have of our religion. He doesn't follow that, the law of Judaism. So see, you can't follow this man. He doesn't even follow our own law. They were trying to get him, and this woman was simply a means to an end. She was worthless to them. She was someone that didn't matter. We have to start seeing people the way Jesus sees people, don't we? We have to see people the way our Savior sees people, and he sees all people as people of value. And I get it that in today's culture, it's easy to look at certain people and look at them and judge them from the outside, from their appearance, from how they smell, from how they act, and say they don't matter or are not as, of, of, as much value as someone else. And I'm guilty of that. I don't know if you really search your heart. I know you've been guilty of this too, where you see certain people as more valuable than others. Yet that's not how Jesus saw people. So I want us to watch this clip real quick of The Greatest Showman. This is a clip where we see my man Zac Efron. Ladies, y'all know who he is. Uh, he is pulled in to this idea of this circus with Barnum. And he's recruited, but he comes from a family of wealth of status, and just associating with that is something that could have lost his whole inheritance. And then he falls in love with a woman of color. He falls in love with a black woman who in this day, it was looked down on even more. Some here are celebrating that. I mean, I fell in love with a brown woman, so I'm down with that. But I want you to watch this clip to see how the people respond. Because let me tell you something, like racism, we think about it being in the past, and this was over 100 years ago. But you know that just a few decades ago, our country looked very different than it does today. The division and the lines were very clear. And we're in a state in our city where it feels like maybe we've taken some steps back with what just happened with Stephon Clark and the race relations in our city currently. And so I thought this was appropriate for, appropriate for us to watch. And I have some thoughts, so let's watch this. So this week... I attended a pastor's conversation. I got invited. It was a room of pastors of all different races. And the goal was to have a conversation about how we should respond with everything going on with the Stephon Clark shooting and uh, the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests and whatnot. Um, it's been a, an intense couple weeks for our city. And so I went, not really knowing what to expect, but I walk in, uh, I'm pretty sure I was the youngest pastor in the room. And I sat in this room and listen to several of our African-American pastors share their heart and their experiences. And honestly, I've hesitated to share anything on social media about this because I didn't know what to share. I, I've hesitated to talk about it to our church because I didn't know what to talk about. I didn't know what to say. All I know is my experience. And my experience is as a white individual in today's culture. 
And so hearing, you know, people saying things on different sides and we're mad about black lives matter because what about blue lives matter and what about all lives matter? And, and these are things I, I hear from people of, of my race, but then I'm listening to friends of mine who are of other races and who are, uh, who are black and, and they're saying about how they've experienced police and, and the things that they've gone through. One of the pastors got up there and said just recently he pulled into his driveway and had two police pull up behind him and get out with their hands on their guns and say, what are you doing in this neighborhood? He said, I live here. I've never experienced that. And so I, was, I just went there to listen because I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to my church. How should we respond? And they said, Caleb, I listened to these pastors and what they said was, and I talked to one individually, but I said, look, we are out here not because we're anti-police, but because we're pro-better policing. Because we have a community that feels maligned, uh, that we don't have as many resources, we're not supported as much. They actually said there's 400 and something police officers in Sacramento PD and 17 of them are African American. I want you to think about that for a second. So we have a new police chief. I know he's trying to make some changes. But it got me thinking, it got me listening because I realized that I speak from a certain context. And so I felt like this is appropriate for today because this idea of loving people for who they are. I asked them, what do you want us to do? Like, what am I supposed to do? What do you want me to say? And they said, Caleb, you just need to stand with us. You need to pray for us. You need to weep with us. You know that God is a God of life. And anytime there is death, our hearts should break as followers of Christ. Doesn't matter if we think, oh, they shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have reacted that way. It doesn't matter. Our hearts should break because God is not a God of death. He's a God of life. And one day he's going to make it so that there's no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. But right now, guess what our job is here on earth? It's to bring heaven to earth. The problem is that a lot of us, we pick up stones and we say, I don't throw stones. I'm not like a Pharisee. I don't throw stones. No, we pick up stones. They just look different, don't they? We sow seeds of discord and hate instead of standing and empathizing and praying for and loving a community that feels like they don't have the same experience that other communities have. And so what they said to me is what I'll say to you is that your heart should break. That you should start with love. And let me tell you something. Love is inconvenient. You know, it's easy. We get up here and we preach love and you all are like, amen. Yes, let's be a church that loves. We love people for who they are. We love all people. But when it's really time to love, I'm not talking about saying I love you. I'm talking about really loving people in the middle of their mess and their junk and in a hard situation like what we just walked through in our city, that's when it gets inconvenient, doesn't it? Loving people is not convenient. I don't hear any amens today. Loving people is not convenient. It is hard. It takes work. It takes effort. There is nothing convenient about it. And yet we must be a people and a church that loves people for who they are. Even when it makes us uncomfortable. Even when we don't understand fully. Even when we don't even know what to say or what to do, but we just show up because we love. We say, I'll be there because I love. I'll stand with you because I love. 
And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge us. I want to challenge myself that we would be a church that loves. And not just in word, but in deed. Not just with lip service, but with acts of service. You can talk to Lauren and Rochelle Dittmore, who are up here leading worship, about what it means to love in Oak Park. They have a nonprofit city of refuge that has a community center there in Oak Park, and they're loving. They get calls in the middle of the night regularly because they got to go out of their way to help someone who needs love. That's love. We love people for who they are. Not because it's convenient, but because it's our call. Did you know that? It's your call to love. As the church, that we would be a church that loves Let's walk out this love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice. You know you can love people you disagree with. Did you know that? You can love people you disagree with. You can show up for people that you maybe don't agree with, all the things they've done, all the actions they've taken. And yet loving means sometimes just being. Just being there when no one else would be there. Just showing up when no one else would show up. We love people where they are. Number two, we accept people how they are. Everybody say accept. You guys know we're all a work in progress. There's no perfect people in this room. The Pharisees picked up the stones because they wanted to take this woman out because they wanted to take Jesus out. She was a means to an end for them. And so they picked up stones. They carried stones. In this story, we see Mr. Barnum, Hugh Jackman, is starting a business. And what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to focus on individuals who are extreme in nature. They're, as some would call them, freaks. Because he knows that people will come to see them. And it starts out with he's wanting to celebrate them. He's wanting to make money off them. And it's interesting that people would come in and pay money and they'd actually celebrate them. But then outside of those same doors, they would mock them and laugh at them and malign them. See, we accept people even in the middle of their mess. So let's watch this clip from The Greatest Showman. So if you didn't know, this is a musical. Some of you are like, oh, I ain't seeing that now. <laughs> Amazing movie, but this idea of accepting people how they are, I think we have to think about these Pharisees and what they did and picking up stones. Because I think a lot of us, we get caught up and we go, man, I'm not like a Pharisee. No, I'm not judgmental like the Pharisees. I would never pick up stones like the Pharisees. But we pick up stones today, they just look so much differently. And we get caught up. The longer we're in the church, the more temptation there is to become a Pharisee in our life. And some of us, maybe in this place, we need a pharisectomy <laughs> in the room. We got caught up in the church for so long that little by little, these roots and these seeds of judgment, of hate, of self-righteousness begin to rise up because I'm not like them. I don't do that. I don't live. I mean, look at these Christians. They say they love Jesus, and look what they were doing. Look how they act. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace 
must be growing in our hearts. Grace for others because Jesus gave the same grace to us. We must carry that grace with us. You see, Jesus told the disciples to let the little children come unto him. Jesus was known for associating with those that no one else would associate with. He said, let the children come to me. Jesus touched lepers, people that no one else would touch. Jesus sat and ate with sinners, with prostitutes, with tax collectors. Jesus spent time with those. He accepted those that no one else would accept. And so in this church, I want to declare today that we at Project Church, we would accept people exactly how they are. That these doors would be open to all. That there is a seat at the table for everyone. Why? Because that is the culture of honor that God is calling us to have. The greatest accusation against Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. May it be said of us. May the same be said of us. That Project Church, man, they got some crazy people up in there. They got all kinds of sin. You hear about some of the people that they have in their church? Yes. May that be said of us. May that be what we're characterized by. Why? May you have to hold on to your purse when you come into church on Sunday mornings because you don't know who's sitting next to you. That's the kind of church we want to have. That all are welcome. That people far from God would be drawn. Why? Because there's, we, we are saying there's a seat at the table for you. We don't pick up stones. You see, Jesus, he actually is asked this, this question. These Pharisees, they talk to him and they say, what should we do? This woman was caught in adultery, which we're not going to get into that because in order to catch her in the act, they had to be there. So we're not going to go there about how they orchestrated all that. But they said this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses says that we should stone her to death. And Jesus, he bends down and he begins to write in the sand. In the dirt draws with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. But then he sa says that he stands up and he looks at them and he says, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And one by one, starting from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away and Jesus went back to drawing, writing in the dirt. You see, I believe that we as the church, we don't have a call just to not pick up stones. We have a call that we would encourage other people and our voice will be so powerful and peace-filled and unifying that we make other people drop their stones too. That the church of Jesus, that Project Church, will be so powerful, so hope-filled, so unifying, so life-giving, that we would actually influence the people around us to drop their stones as well. The way Jesus did. You see, his one response left these men silent, and walking away, dropping their stones to the ground. May that be said of us. The problem is, and what breaks my heart is I look around the church, and, and I'm on social media, and I see a lot of Christians, a lot of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and you know what we're doing? We're picking up stones. We're picking up stones, and we're hurling them at this person and this group of people, and these people over here, we're hur hurling it at this I, this political group, and we're hurling stones all the time. Then we say, oh, these Pharisees, we read this passage. Say, man, thank God I'm not like them. 
What if our voice, what if the words we said, what if what we shared, what if our social media even made people not pick up stones but drop their stones? That our love actually was so contagious that other people began to love in a way that was countercultural. That they accepted those that no one else would accept. That must be what the church is characterized by. That we don't pick up stones, we actually push people to drop their stones. That must be our heart. And third and finally today, we challenge people in where they are. You see, I, I said it today. The first two, we love people for who they are. We accept people how they are. But, you see that? I said but when I gave this introduction. But we challenge people in where they are. And here's why I say this. The church for a long time was characterized by being judgmental, hateful, that you had to be perfect to come in. You had to look a certain way. You had to smell a certain way. You had to dress a certain way for you to be invited in. And so the, the world, like, pushed the church away and ran from the church. And so then the church went the other way. And they're like, well, we want everyone to know they're accepted. We want everyone to know they're loved. And so we're going to just, that's going to be our message. Grace, grace, grace. We're going to preach grace, which we must preach grace. But we preach it with truth attached to it. Because we believe we are a work in progress. And you know what progress means? It means you're moving forward. It means you're changing. We challenge people in where they are because we say, you were there, but you're not going to stay there. You were bound up in sin, but you're not going to stay in that sin. You were living a crazy life, but God has called you to a better life. He's called you to a better future. We have to challenge people with the grace, but the truth attached to it of the word of God. Why? Because this is what Jesus did. So let's watch this final clip. And then we're going to go. You see Barnum, Hugh Jackman, he got caught up in the lights. He got caught up in the celebrity status. He got caught up in the money. He got caught up in all that he was building and he was achieving his success. And it ended up stripping him of his family. It ended up, he pushed away these individuals who had actually given him the success in the first place. But they called him on it. They challenged him in it, and he changed at the end. There was a change that took, took place. You see, we challenge people in where they are because God doesn't want us to stay the same, does he? He wants us to change. He wants us to become more like him. Let's watch this before we go. We believe as a church that we should be becoming more like Jesus, that we're making progress We're moving forward. See, Jesus says something to this woman at the end. He causes these men, these Pharisees, these scribes to walk away, to drop their stones. But then it says that he stood up. And he says to her, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. So I believe someone in this room needed to hear this today. Because your whole association with God 
has been a God of condemnation. That he condemns you. He's up in heaven with lightning bolts waiting to strike you down every time you do something wrong. You think that the God, a loving God, is one that just condemns you every time you mess up. But here's this woman coming out. I mean, it happened moments before, the Bible says. Moments before she has been caught in the act of adultery, sleeping with a man that is not her husband. Moments before. And yet here Jesus stands with her. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And so I wanted to declare to you today, I wanted to speak to someone in this place, someone in this room, that the God that we serve is not a God of condemnation. He is a God of restoration. He did not come to this planet to condemn you. He came here to restore you. He came here to restore you to the, to the God that loves you. To restore you to the right standing with God. He is a God of restoration, not condemnation. And some of you, you've characterized God as a God of condemnation. That every time you do something wrong, He's ready to strike you down. He looks down on you. He maybe even hates you. You feel that way. He wants nothing to do with you. But I'm here to tell you that in the middle of your sin, God is saying, I don't condemn you. I restore you. I'm not here to, to tear you down more. I'm here to lift you up. And he says to this woman, neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't finish it there, does he? He has one final saying in his statement. And it's something that we need to recognize in our lives as followers of Christ or those of you in this place that have never met Jesus because this is what he says. He says, neither do I condemn you. He's not a God of condemnation. He's a God of restoration. But then he says, now go and sin no more. You see, you are not meant to live a life characterized by sin. As followers of Jesus, he wants us to make progress. That we are day after day, step after step, becoming more like him we're not where we used to be a lot of you in this place are saying man thank god i'm not where i used to be i know you're not you're not where you want to be but at least you're not where you used to be it's time to start taking more steps forward i'm getting away from the sin that has caught me up and had me entangled for far too long and some of you in this room, you've been caught up in sin. Man, you're in shackles to sin. You're ensnared to sin. You're entangled in sin. And it's a sin that there are cycles of the same sin over and over in your life. And God today is saying to you, it's time to sin no more. I don't condemn you. I came to restore you. And I came to restore you to a better way of living, a better life, a better future, a better hope. That's what Jesus is speaking today in this place. It's time to get set free. Jesus came to bring freedom in this room. To bring freedom in our lives. And so I know some of you out there are going, man, I got sin. Nobody knows. Maybe it's hidden sin. Today, God wants you to declare that I will listen to my Savior. I will go and sin no more. Are you going to be perfect? No, this woman, I'm sure she still made mistakes. But the God of restoration is want to restore you to a future and a hope and saying you may not be where you want to be but you're not going to be where you used to be you're not going to go back to that same adultery is what he was saying to this woman he's taking you to new places to new heights to new steps in the journey it's about making progress that's what jesus wants to do in this room today 
He wants to make progress in your life. He wants to set some of you free from the sin that's had you bound up for too long. Would you bow your heads across this place?